Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. If you want to open your Bible with me and follow along, open to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Amen. We'll read the Christmas story together. Luke chapter 2. Glory to God. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, earth, peace, Goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which are told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in, the heart, in, the, in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Turn with me now, if you would, over to Matthew's gospel. And let's look at... Let's look at chapter 2, Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in in Judea, in those days, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, for they departed for their own country another way. Now this last part in chapter 2 of Matthew uh, is not uh, on, at, the, at the time that he was born. This was a little later, maybe a couple of years later because he was described as a young child and he was no longer in a stable, in a manger. He was in a house at this time. So anyway, uh, this, this took place a, a little bit later than the, than the first story, but it's all a part of the birth of Christ. And how the announcement came and how people came and, argued and, and honored him. You know, Pastor Greg was talking a little earlier about somebody he had talked to that said they were trying to find a church and they'd been to this church and that church and a different church, you know, and it was all about the money. And, uh, and we realized that there are some ministries that make too big a deal about money. They're primarily on television. There are, there are nationally known ministries that have a big television audience and, and uh, some of them, not all of them that, that focus on prosperity, but some of them go a little overboard because everything's about money. I've, I've marveled over the years at, at certain ones that I'd listen to and I'd say, you know, it's amazing that every scripture in the Bible uh, seems to they, they twist it to make it be about money, and it's not about money. So there are ministries like that, but this person, Pastor Greg, was talking about. I'm guessing I don't know who it was. This was somebody locally, I guess. Yeah, in in, in Alachua, they'd said they'd been to several churches. And it's not about money. I don't know of any hyper prosperity churches in Alachua, High Springs, surrounding area, anywhere nearby. Now, there might be some, but I don't know if, you know, if they had gone maybe to the Baptist church. Baptist church is not a hyper-prosperity church. The Methodist church is not a hyper-prosperity church. The, the uh, Nazarene is not a hyper-Baptist uh, uh, church. Church of Christ isn't hyper-prosperity uh, is what I meant to say. They're not hyper-prosperity. So I don't know where it is they found these churches that talk about money all the time. Now, because I don't know who Greg was talking about, I can say this because I'm not trashing anybody. It sounds to me like that person doesn't want to see offerings received in church because that's about as much as talked about in most churches as they just take up an offering. And to them, it's all about the money. Well, I wonder what they do with, with uh, this verse in, in Matthew chapter 2 
When they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were, these were rich people. These were rich people who had traveled a long distance. And they, they came asking, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? So they weren't bringing gifts like you would bring to an ordinary person. They were bringing gifts that were suitable for a king. So I'm guessing it wasn't the, the smallest, tiniest little gold coin that you could find. I'm guessing because they were giving to a king that there was an abundance of wealth, an abundance of gold. Frankincense and myrrh were also very costly uh, perfumes and so forth. So they came bearing gifts fit for a king and it was, and it was, it was uh, opulent. Some people don't want to hear anything mentioned about giving to the king. But that's who we give to. That's what tithes and offering is all about, is giving to the king of all kings. He deserves treasure. He deserves the best we have. He deserves for us to be generous in support because what does he do with all of it? He doesn't need greenbacks. He doesn't need dollar bills, hundred dollar bills. He doesn't need natural gold. Now, he needed it then, when, when, when these wise men brought gold to the Lord Jesus, his family lived off of that. That was for their... Jesus didn't grow up in poverty. I said he did not grow up in poverty because he had an endowment fund that had been donated for him, this was, this, this, these gifts weren't for his parents, they were for him. Well, they took that, and, and I'm sure Jesus lived quite well off of this. Well, today, when we bring gifts, he doesn't live off of the actual gifts. He receives our praise, the gifts, he returns back to us. Only he shakes it down. Woo, glory to God, presses it together and multiplies it and, and gives it back to us over and over and over abundantly again and praise the Lord. If that offends somebody, they need to get saved. They need to get saved. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I just thought I'd meddle a little bit. I, I did plan to read the Christmas story before I heard this story from Pastor Greg. But now I want to get into my, to my main message, and it's not the Christmas story. Sometimes I'll, I'll minister on, on a Christmas theme on Christmas, but, but sometimes I don't. You know, uh, there are people, I don't know if there's anybody like this today or not, because it's a little dark and I can't really see who else back there, unless I really tried. There are people that only come to church on Christmas and Easter. They come on Christmas because they want to see a Christmas program or whatever, you know, and they come on Easter, you know, because they feel guilty if they don't go to church, you know, once or twice a year. So they go to church on Christmas and Easter. 
And on Christmas, they hear, they hear a Christmas message. And on, and on Easter, they hear a message on the resurrection. And they come back next year and they hear about the birth of Christ. And, and then they hear about the resurrection in, in the spring. And in the winter, they hear about the birth of Christ. And in the spring, they hear about the resurrection. And in the, and in the, in the winter, they hear about the birth of Christ. And in the spring, they hear about the resurrection. And this is, some people, that's all they've ever heard. They know two things, that Jesus died, that he was, that he was crucified and rose again. Well, that's good, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible besides that. So if, if this is your annual Christmas visit, I've turned the tables on you. You're going to find out something besides the Christmas story today. Amen. Glory to God. Go with me in your Bible today. We're going to continue where we were. And go with me to the book of Galatians. Because there's a whole lot more to be said that applies to us today. Amen. We, just briefly, we mentioned the fact that there are, there are two primary works of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The Spirit within the believer and the Spirit upon. One is a result of the new birth, the other one is the result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pointed out that for those of us and those like us who are in the Spirit-filled community, if we're not careful, we can, get mo- we can put most of our attention on the Spirit upon us Because the Spirit comes upon us for power and for service. And if we're not careful, that's where our main focus is. And we neglect the ministry of the Spirit within us as a result of the new birth. And there's a whole lot there that belongs to every Christian. And it's just as important in the life of the Spirit-filled Christian as it is in the lives of those who haven't uh, received this blessing yet. Amen? So uh, we're talking about three ways we must cooperate with the indwelling spirit, not, this, not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the spirit within. Three ways we must cooperate in order to get the greatest benefit. Number one, we pointed out that constant renewals of the spirit are necessary. That simply means by waiting upon the Lord in the word and in prayer, spending time with him, fellowshipping with the Lord will bring refreshing to your spirit. It will bring strengthening. It will bring, it will bring uh, uh, refreshing and, and uh, edification to your inward man. We have to have that. Number two is walking in the spirit, which I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on today. And then later we'll get to the third one, which is learning, <clears throat> learning the ways of the spirit. So the second one, walking in the spirit, we pointed this out that it's important to walk in the spirit so that he may keep us fully informed of the manner of life in which he would have us live. You know, the Holy Spirit has something to say about how we live. If you're listening to, to him, he will have something to say about how you live. Amen. And about where you go and what you do, the decisions you make. And, and he wants to speak actively in your life. Amen. And so we have to walk in the spirit. Now, walking in the spirit, we also pointed out, is not walking around with your head in the clouds, so to speak. You know, some people, when they think of walking in the spirit, they think of some, you know, somehow just sort of floating off the ground, you know, sort of caught up in the glory. You have a faraway look in your eyes and, and uh, you know, you can't even talk normal. You have to talk, you know, religiously. And, and uh, that's not walking in the spirit at all. Amen. I, that, that's really walking in, in uh, d- uh, 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 delusion. <laughs> that's what that is. Because people who act that way, they're not in the spirit. 
Walking in the Spirit is very simple and it's very practical. Now go with me here to Galatians chapter 5. Notice in verse 16 it says, I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. For those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and the desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want you to notice verse 16 says, walk in the spirit. But then it says, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then in verse 25, it says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And verse 24 says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the desires. Uh, our, we're, we're making the point here of walking in the spirit is walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Notice he says, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then verse 22, for the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the fruit of the Spirit is walking in the Spirit. Walking in, the, in these godly characters, characteristics that he has uh, put on the inside of us, walking these things out in our lives, this is walking in the Spirit. We also pointed out that walking in the spirit is denying the flesh. Putting the flesh under and not yielding to the temptations and the works of the flesh. That's walking in the spirit. Again, that's not walking around, you know, with a, in, you know, your head in a cloud and, you know, having visions and so forth. That's not what walking in the spirit is. Again, walking in the spirit is very practical and very simple. And, uh, it says here that, that we are to walk in the Spirit. Well, what does, that, what does that mean? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is walking in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Holy Spirit, who the Bible also describes in Romans as the Spirit of Christ, or you could say the life of Christ within us. We'll say that again. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ or the life of Christ within us. Go with me over to John chapter 15. John the 15th chapter. And let's read something that applies here. In John chapter 15, Jesus said in verse number one, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Now, in, in this imagery that Jesus is presenting here, he's presenting the imagery of a, of a grapevine. He said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Now, here, when we talk about fruit, 
in, in our uh, geographic area, we're not, we're not usually talking about grapevines. Now, there are people who grow grapes. Don't misunderstand me. There are people that cultivate those. But most of us, if we have fruit, uh, anything producing fruit in, on, our, in our, on our property, it's usually a fruit tree. It's an orange tree or pear tree or an apple tree or uh, you know, some other type of fruit. Fruit grows, if, if we put it more in our local vernacular, uh, Jesus said, I'm the true tree. My father is the tree dresser. For every branch in me, see trees have branches. Vines have branches too, but, but we think morely, more of trees and branches. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit So he's talking about fruit bearing. He takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes or cleans that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Now notice, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You know, the the branch that's on your uh, orange trees or your pear trees, or whatever type of fruit tree you have, that branch doesn't bear fruit by itself. If you, take, if you sever that branch and take it out of the tree, it's not going to bear any fruit. The only way it can bear fruit if it sta- is, is if it stays connected to the tree and the life and the nourishment of the tree flow into the branch. And that's what causes the branch to bear fruit. He said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the tree or the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine or I am the tree, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So Jesus is talking here about fruit bearing. And that's what Galatians chapter 5 is talking about. It's talking about bearing fruit. So then the fruit of the Spirit is really the fruit of the born-again human spirit because of the Holy Spirit within. You see, we are in Christ He said, Jesus said, you can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. Well, when we were born again, we we were made one with Christ. We are in Christ. And any of the fruit that develops in our life, the fruit of the Spirit, really, uh, the tree bears fruit. The tree bears, excuse me, the the branch bears the fruit. Isn't that right? If you have a tree... The, the fruit isn't growing on the trunk of the tree. It's growing on the branches. Well, when we, were, when we were made one with Christ, our physical bodies weren't joined to him. Our spirits were made one with him. Isn't that right? We are one spirit with the Lord. We are one with him. His life is flowing into us. Well, that's where the, that's where the fruit bearing takes place. It takes place in our own spirits. So it is correct to say this, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, it's, it's, there's another side to it. 
It's just like the proverbial mountain. You know, if you drive out west and you drive across the, the plains and drive, you know, to Colorado and you get into Denver, you're going to see the Rocky Mountains begin to, to, to arise, right? Well, on one side, you're on the flatland, you're on the Denver side, you're on the eastern side looking west and you see the mountains. Well, if you start going through the mountains and get behind one of those mountains and look back, you're looking at the same mountain, but it doesn't look the same as it looked going, going west. When you look east, it's going to look like a different mountain, but it's the same mountain. Well, Bible truths are that way. Yes, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but more, more precisely, it's the fruit of the recreated human the spirit, the, the human spirit, the fruit that's born in our own lives in our spirit because of the Holy Spirit within. Yes, it's a fruit of the spirit, but it's a fruit of the human spirit because of the life of Christ, the spirit of Christ within us. He's the one that produces the fruit. If you'll notice this, that fruit grows by degrees. Fruit doesn't just pop out on a tree branch overnight. You don't just, you know, go to bed one night and there's no fruit on the tree and the next day you walk out and say, voila, look, I'm ready to take this fruit and pick it, put it in my fruit basket. You know, that's not the way it happens. It happens very slowly. It begins in a very small way. It begins to, begins to grow, begins to get larger, begins to get mature. It's not ready for picking yet. You want to wait until it becomes really nice and full and succulent. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't grow in fruit. The Holy Spirit doesn't, the Holy Spirit isn't becoming joyful. The Holy Spirit isn't growing in love. He's fully developed in all of these things. But our spirits produce fruit that begins small, begins to grow because of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, if you think about it, This helps clear up some of the confusion that some non-spirit-filled Christians have when they see spirit-filled Christians who allegedly aren't perfectly mature in all the fruit of the Spirit. That's kind of a rub for some people. They say, well, you know, you people talk about the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues, but, you know, I know this Christian and they're spirit-filled, but, you know, they don't... They don't have this certain fruit of the Spirit. Well, what they're saying is they're not mature yet in the fruit of the Spirit. But you could turn that around and to the other person, so you're not mature in them yet either. See, the the gifts of the Spirit as a result of being born again, remember there's two gifts of nine associated with the work of the Spirit. The Spirit within has a list of nine, the nine fruit of the Spirit we just read. The being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon, has a list of nine. Those are the nine gifts of the Spirit. The difference is the gifts of the Spirit are manifestations of the Spirit. They're not a manifestation of that person. It's not a manifestation of that person's character. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. If if you're in service and you've ever experienced this, and and the Spirit moves on you to to give a a word of prophecy, just moments before that happened, you didn't have it. And all of a sudden, the Spirit moved on. That's a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, it does come through you, and though God is perfect, the vessel isn't always perfect, 
And so there, there can be some, some coloring, if you will, of that true manifestation of the Spirit. But it's, an, it's not a manifestation of anything that is of you. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. But fruit are different. Fruit has to do with the character that is growing in our lives. And, and you don't have to be moved on by the Spirit to have love. Nobody comes and says, ooh, I just, ooh. The Spirit of God just moved on me, and now I'm, I'm loving people. <laughs> no, the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. That love is there. It just, you just need to start yielding to it, and you don't need the Spirit of God to move on you to do that. You don't need the Spirit of God to move on you to, to be kind. Well, I'm going to slap you unless the Spirit moves on me. No, 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 no. No, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all of these fruit of the Spirit should be there all the time. They're not manifestations of the Spirit. They're fruit that's produced by the Holy Spirit in the spirit man of the born-again Christian. Amen? So let's talk a little bit more. We also pointed out this. We talked about godliness. I've already mentioned that. In other words, walking in the Spirit means uh, walking in the fruit of the Spirit. It means godliness, that is, putting the flesh under. It also means being led of the Spirit. Go back over to Galatians chapter 5 again. We'll see that. Galatians chapter 5, walk in the Spirit, verse 16. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. You could just as easily... uh, 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 say this, it's, this is not the way it's written in the scripture, we're not trying to change the Bible, but it's talking about the same thing. Walk in the spirit, that is be led by the spirit. You see that? And you're not under the, under the law. So walking in the spirit means being led by the spirit. We pointed out that the Holy Spirit will lead you in line with the word before you even know the word. We've all experienced that. We talked about that. Being led by the spirit, and this is what we were talking about when we left last week. Being led by the, uh, by the Spirit will protect us from harm and danger. Amen? Even sickness. So let's go back to walking in the Spirit again, or walking in the fruit of the Spirit. We pointed this out, that love is the first and foremost fruit of the Spirit. Remember the, the, that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, that now abides faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these is love. Jesus said that loving God is the, is the number one commandment. Number two is secondly is loving others. He said in these two commandments hang all the prophets and the law. Isn't that right? Go with me over to First, uh, first Thessalonians. This is interesting. And let's look at the fourth chapter. I made this point that, that love is is not only the foremost fruit of the Spirit, it's the first fruit of the Spirit. In fact, we won't read the verse now, but over in John's uh, epistles, in 1 John, he said, if you don't love the brethren, you're not even saved. Amen. Well, that that makes some people think, well, maybe I'm not saved because I don't like brother so-and-so. Well, you you need to find out what the problem is. Because love 
is, is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. And it shows up as soon as a person gets born again. I, I told the story how when I, just a few weeks after I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, maybe a month or two, two, maybe three, I, uh, I went back to church because I was led to go. I, I realized I could not survive as a Christian outside the church. And I found out that it was in the Bible that I was supposed to go to church. I didn't have anybody teaching me that. I wasn't listening in the, in, to any cassettes. I didn't know there were teaching cassettes out at the time. I didn't know anything about it, never heard of it. I wasn't going to church. I didn't have anybody witnessing to me. No Christian was kind of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, discipling me or anything like that. I was just reading my Bible and spending time just thanking God that I was delivered from sin. And the bondages that were in my life were broken. I was just so thrilled to, to, to know Jesus again. And so I was just worshiping the Lord and the Lord led me and he did through the word to go back to church. So if you're being led by the spirit, you will be a church attender and not just an infrequent church attender. You'll be a part of a local church. There is no provision for Christians to exist outside the company of the local church in the New Testament. Let me say it a little differently. There's no provision in the New Testament The idea of Christians living perpetually outside the fellowship of a local church is not found anywhere in the New Testament. Not one single example of that. In fact, the local body, the local flock, is Jesus' way of caring for the flock. Amen. Well, anyway, praise the Lord. It's not my message, but I won't charge you anything extra. Amen. Have you found 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Four, yeah. It's interesting here. I never really noticed this before. But the Holy Spirit brought this scripture to my mind. And, uh, and so I looked it up. It says in verse 9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. Now when he says write to you, what is he talking about? Now, this is a, a question and answer series. What is he what 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 were Paul's writings? Come on, open up. You it might not get it what I'm looking for, but it'd still be right. What were Paul's writings? What? Instructions? What else? Letters? Admonitions? That's not what I'm looking for. All what? Scripture. When he's, when he's talking about writing to them, he was writing to them when they read this. He had written to them, and what he wrote them was Scripture. It was the Word of God, was it not? But he said, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for the Scripture. You have no need that I write to you. Why? Why? For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. If you never heard a message on love, if you ne- when I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, and that's what I was pointing out, when I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, I, I didn't know the love of God was shed abroad in my heart. I'd never heard that in my life. Really, my experience, to be honest with you, in church was all I saw was a lot of fighting. The church that I grew up in, uh, there was a lot of, 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 of uh, don't misunderstand me, there were a lot of good things going on. 
But there was a lot of dissension. There was a lot of fighting. And my family was right in the middle of some of it. I remember one time that my mother's family, my mother had a large family. And my grandmother had given birth to 13 children. Three of them died when they were very young. But she raised 10 children to adulthood. And uh, they all had children. And most of them were in uh, her, you know, my, my mom and her, and, and her brothers and sisters, most of them were in the church we went to. They had kids, you know, the cousins, my, all, all my cousins. So there was a lot of the lanes. My mom's maiden name was Lane. <clears throat> and there were a lot of lanes in the church, but the lanes couldn't get along with one another. And I remember this wasn't an isolated incident, but this, because they fought a lot. It seemed to me growing up that that my mom's family was divided all the time into two camps. And there was a particular, I won't say even gender because they might still be alive, but one of my, uh, my mom's siblings, two of my mom's siblings seemed to always be the ringleaders. And there was either a camp on one of the siblings' side or on the other sibling side. <clears throat> Every now and then, this, these two siblings would, would form an unholy alliance. And they'd be against everybody. But I remember one particular instance on a Sunday. My dad was Sunday school superintendent, and he wasn't a lane. My mom was a lane. My dad was an Anderson. And he didn't like all of this. And he was Sunday school superintendent. And I remember one Sunday being downstairs in the, in, the, in the lounge area. They had a lounge outside uh, where, the, where the moms could come, you know, not outside, but I mean outside the auditorium, where the moms could come and take care of their children during church. And, uh, you know, if they were fussy and so forth. And there was this big fight going on between my aunts and uncles. I mean, they were in each other's face. They were almost screaming at each other. In the, in the lounge at the church on a Sunday morning just before church. And I mean, they've got their fists balled up and they're in each other's face and their, you know, veins are popping out, you know, everywhere. And they're just, I mean, they're, and my dad come in, he said, would you people stop? He said, you people are insane. You have no business behaving like this in the house of God. Well, guess who was, now they both joined forces against my dad because he was an outsider, you know. So what I'm saying is I grew up where there was, there was a lot of contention in the church. We just, we just thought that's the way it was, you know. So believe me when I said that I never really heard messages on the love of God other than God's love for us. I'd never heard of a message of God's love in us. So when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I, I, I still hadn't found these scriptures in the New Testament. I hadn't gotten that far. Or if I did read them, I read right over them, didn't mean anything. But I was taught by God. Well, how does God teach us? Through the word and through the spirit. That's how he teaches us. He, Jesus said, I will send you another comforter and he will teach you. Thank God we have a teacher on the inside. So I, I learned this love and, and I wasn't really conscious that, that I had picked up something. I wasn't conscious that I had, had experienced, uh, some, I didn't, I, I wasn't aware that this was something in me because of 
getting back into fellowship with the Lord, that it was in my spirit as a fruit of the spirit. I, I, I didn't know that. I just found myself loving Christians. Not just in my church, but any other church I went to. Those are, in those early days, my wife, or, or excuse me, in those early days, I had, uh, when I got back to the Fellowship of the Lord, I had been on transfer from Jacksonville down to Central Florida, first in Dunellen, Dun, Dun or Dunedin, one of those two, I don't know, and then, and then to Brooksville, and then I got sent back to Jacksonville. And then after that, I was sent to Miami and sent to different places, and sometimes for training or sometimes, you know, to work. And I was sent to, to uh, New Orleans one time, uh, when, when, uh, just right after Greg had been born. So when I would go to these other places, I mean, I'm away from home. I'm, I'm, I'm too far away. I can't, I can't, you know, make it home for the weekend. I found a church. I found a church somewhere to go to. And I'd walk in. I didn't know a person there. And I just, I just loved being in church. I just loved fellowship with people I didn't know. Now, you might say, well, yeah, it's easy to fellowship with people when you don't know them. But I was that way back in the local church, in my church. Because you are taught by God. Even, you don't even, thank God we have the word on his love. But even without the word, you don't even need it because God will lead you that way. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Now, we said that being led by the Spirit, walking in love, being led by the Spirit, God will uh, protect us from harm and danger, situations that could, that could rob our peace of mind, rob our, our, uh, our health. Go with me real quick to, we'll read... Uh, Three passages real fast. Go to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15. Now, we, I know we're going over to the Old Covenant, so don't get nervous. We don't live in the Old Covenant, but there are things here to learn. Exodus chapter 15, verse number 26 says, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In the Greek, or excuse me, in the Hebrew, it says, for I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. Now, we, we're real prone to quote the last part of that because, you know, if he was Jehovah Rapha then, he's Jehovah Rapha now. He is the Lord, our healer. He is the great physician. So we quote that passage, but we only quote the bottom part of it. What about the first part of it? If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, and if you give ear to his commandments, and if you keep all of his his statutes, then he will allow none of the diseases on you that he brought on the Egyptians. Well, that's conditional. Has the, has the enemy ever brought up the conditions to you before? I'm sure he has. Go over with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And let's look at verse number 12. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments that is the commandments, and keep them and do them, 
that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. Why will he do this? Because you listen to his commandments and you keep them and do them. Verse 13 says, as a result of that, in response to that, he will love you, bless you, multiply you. Uh, Verse 15 says, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness. We like to read verse 15. But there are conditions associated with that. Do you see that? Well, you're excited, I can tell. Go over to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. And it shall come to pass, verse 1 says, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully, everybody say carefully, all his commandments, say all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. I love the idea of being chased down by God's blessing. (laughs) Glory to God. That's what it means to be overtaken. Something's after you. It's chasing you and, and, and running you down. Amen. He said, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Because you, why? Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed. Excuse me, shall you be in the city? Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket in your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. Just as he has sworn to you, if you keep, if you keep, if you keep, if you keep, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to go, over there, uh, to go after other gods to serve them. But, verse 15 says, it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, if you do not observe carefully all his commandments, all his statutes, all of his commandments that I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And so he lists all of the curses of the law. The point I'm making is the blessing of the Lord in the Old Testament was conditional on keeping all of the law. You had to keep all of the law. You had to walk in all of the commandments. You had to obey everything God said. So a lot of times we we read these passages and we don't read that part. And there, even though we're not under the law, it's still important to know the conditions. I'll say that again. We're not under the law, 
But it's good to know the conditions because if you're not, if you're not reading the conditions, you're only getting part of what you, what you think you're reading. If you don't read the conditions, you're not getting the whole picture. God would bless you, he said, in the old covenant. And all of these wonderful things would happen because you were obedient. That's very important. So how do you come over in the New Testament? Well, sometimes we're conscious of the fact that we're not always as obedient as we should. We don't always do everything right. Well, that disqualifies us. According to the Old Testament, that disqualifies us. So when you read these Old Testament scriptures, you have to read them in light of the provision for your failure. When you read these Old Testament scriptures, you have to read the the promises, the blessing, and the curses, but you also have to find out what God's provision is for you when you don't meet the conditions. Because they didn't meet the conditions. Bible says that, that these people, Paul, Paul said, even the people who are preaching the commandments don't live by them. You couldn't live by all of these and keep them all. So it's just people are the same today as they were then. We have the same issues, the same issues. We have the same sins, same problems that they had. Isn't that right? But thank God he's made provision for us. Amen. And you know what it is. John chapter 13, we won't go there, I'll just quote it to you. He said, I give to you a new commandment. A new commandment that you love one another. Did you know there's only one commandment in the New Testament for the believer? Now, I I, I understand that when the Spirit of God shows you something and leads you to do something, you need to do it. And disobedience to the leading of the Lord will cause you problems. But that's on, a, that's on an individual leading basis. But overall, governing all of our conduct in general, there's not 10 commandments or 100 commandments. There's one commandment that we love one another. And go with me to Romans, the uh, 13th chapter. Oh, glory to God. Romans chapter 13, verse number 8. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now notice, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Ooh, let that sink in. He who loves another has fulfilled all the commandments. For the commandments, verse 9 says, you shall not mur- you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Now notice, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Oh, glory to God. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Oh, I tell you what, when the devil comes to you and says, well, you know, you, you, God's not going to heal you this time. God's not going to answer your prayer this time because you know how you acted. You know how you've, you've got awed in your heart or this, that. You know, you can repent right now. I mean, right now, I mean now, right now, while you're listening to me at, at, at 12.09, you know, p.m., you can, you can repent right now. And you can change your mind. And you can say, God, I realize I'm wrong. 
I realize I did this. I realize that, but I confess my sin. Your, your word says, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Glory to God. And therefore, because I'm walking in love towards my fellow man and, before, and, and toward my fellow believer, glory to God, I'm fulfilling the law. I'm walking in all of the righteousness that the law demanded because love is the fulfillment of the law. I had a lady come to me. I'll tell this and I'll close. I had a lady come to me quite a few years ago, church member. She was a, an older lady. She was in her late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, and I, I thought she was old because I was much younger. But, <laughs> but she appeared to be old to me. And uh, she, she would come in every now and then. She would want to talk to me. And Pastor Angela would laugh and she said, well, you know, Sister so-and-so needs her time with the pastor again, you know. So she would come in and she had a lot of problems in her life. She had physical problems. She had uh, mental problems. And she had uh, some other issues. And we would talk and I would, you know, kind of advise her. She just, I mean, she, this lasted for several years. She, well, up in, maybe not several years, you know, when, it, when what I'm about to tell you happened, but she'd been coming to me. She'd come quite a few times. And I would talk to her. I'm trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. Why are her prayers not being answered? Because I would tell her what to do. Believe God, I'll agree with you, you know, and, and uh, she just wasn't getting any better. And so, you know, I just kept letting her talk. And one day she said, she said, Pastor, I've got a real problem. I said, what is that? She said, I hate my mother. I said, what? And now her mother was, was dead. Her mother, you know, had died years before. She said, yeah, she's, she's gone, but I hate her. I said, really? She said, yeah, I've hated her since I was a child. I said, why do you hate your mother? She said, my mother was mean to me. She just, she abused me and mistreated me and was hateful to me all of my life growing up and I've always hated her since that time. She said, I, I, I know that's wrong, but I hate my mother. And I said, well, sister, you don't really hate your mother. Oh, yes, I do. Believe me, pastor, I hate my mother. And I said, well, if that's the case, you're not even saved. She looked at me and because I mean, I knew she was saved and she looked at me kind of startled and I said, if you, if you hate your mother... You don't even have eternal life. You're not even saved. She just kind of stared at me. I said, the truth of the matter is you don't hate your mother. I said, you're letting your flesh dominate you where your mother is concerned. And I explained the scripture over in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. I said, you have love in your heart from the Spirit of God. That fruit is in you you have the love of God. You were born uh, by the Spirit of God. And, and the chief characteristic of God is love. He's in you. You don't, love, you don't hate your mother. You, in fact, you love your mother. And she just kind of sat there kind of like, I'm telling you, I hate my mother. And I said, here's, here's what I want you to do, sister. I said, I want you to, to begin every time you think of your mother. If you think of an instant from the instance from the past, or if her image just flashes through your mind, I said, I want you to, to make it a point to stop right then and say, Thank God I love my mother. I said, just start confessing because the love of God's in you, and that's the truth. 
I said, I want you to start saying that. I want you to say, every time you think of her, if you, particularly if you think of anything that she did to you, if there's a bad feeling or emotion, I said, I want you to stop right there and just boldly say, thank God I love my mother in the name of Jesus. She said, okay. She went her way. And, and uh, it, it wasn't very much longer, maybe a few weeks. She came in to see me one day and she was all lit up. She said, pastor, guess what? I love my mother. I said, I told you you did. She said, I I just kept saying that and saying that. She said, and now I realize I have a real deep abiding love for my mother. I've never had this. I said, yeah, you have had it before. You just weren't aware of it. She said, now I don't have negative feelings. When I think of my mom, I don't think of all the things that she did to me back then. I don't, when her, when her image comes into my mind, I don't have negative emotions. I have warm emotions. I love my mother. And you know, a lot, I, didn't, I wasn't able to spend enough time with her, but many of those issues that she was dealing with physically began to clear up in her life as she walked in the love of God. I'm telling you, the love of God will set you free. Amen. Being led by love, being led by the Spirit, being led by love will protect you and, and from harm and danger, but it'll also protect you from sickness and disease. Well, praise the Lord. She got the victory over it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's stand up. Praise God. God is so good. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Aren't you glad for the Spirit of God who lives in you? We have a helper on the inside of us. He's there every day, every moment, every hour. In whatever situation you're in, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he is a wonderful helper. He'll put us over if we'll, if we'll depend on him. If we'll look to the one on the inside. Don't just wait for the manifestations of the Spirit Develop in the fruit of the Spirit. Develop being led in your being led by the Spirit. Develop fellowship with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And you'll reap things in your life that the baptism of the Holy Spirit can never touch. If you'll listen, I'm going to say that again. If you'll listen to the indwelling Spirit and yield to the one who's on the inside of you, you'll reap benefits that you'll never touch simply by being filled with the Spirit. Because being filled with the Spirit is for an entirely different purpose. Thank God we have the helper on the inside. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.